You're listening to Strong Runner Chick Radio, where our goal is to educate, empower, and connect female distance runners. If you enjoy this episode, be sure to leave a review on iTunes or any platform of your choosing or share it with someone who might find this episode helpful. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy the show. Hello, Strong Runner Chicks. Today, I'm here to introduce you to Risa Isard. Risa is a sports industry veteran and policy expert. She specializes in advancing equity with and for girls and women, LGBTQ plus people, people of color, and others in and through sport. Her career in the sports industry spans professional and college sports, sports policy, and nonprofit thought leadership. She has developed partnerships with professional ninja athletes, hosted Billie Jean King in an on-stage conversation, directed the premier national event for increasing access to youth sports, co-authored and edited foundational research reports, established community-based partnerships to support sport leaders across the country, launched a first-of-its-kind online platform for community leaders, founded a farmer's market at professional baseball games, runs a baseball league for people with special needs, hosted a celebrity soccer challenge, authored fortune cookies, and more. She's the former associate director of thought leadership for national nonprofit Kaboom, former project director for the Aspen, Aspen Institute Sport and Society Program, and former community relations coordinator for a minor league baseball team. She's also been on staff at Brandy Chastain's nonprofit organization, Duke University Women's Basketball, and the Phoenix Mercury. Risa has presented at South by Southwest, Spotlight, Health at the Aspen Ideas Festival, the Surgeon General's Innovation Summit, the University of Pennsylvania's Law School Sports Symposium, the excuse me, the North American Society for Sport Management, and elsewhere. She has written for Sports Business Journal, Adweek, Global Sports Matter, Quartz, ESPNW, and elsewhere. Risa graduated cum laude from Duke with a specialized degree in social change at the intersection of culture, gender, and sports. Simultaneously receiving honors for her original thesis research thesis on the prehistory and early years of Title IX. A longtime advocate of using sport for social change, Risa is a research fellow in the Laboratory for Inclusion and Diversity in Sport at the University of Massachusetts at Amherst, where she's currently pursuing her PhD in sport management from the Eisenberg School of Management. You can follow her on Twitter at Risa Love Sport. We hope you enjoyed this conversation with Risa Isard. All right. Hello, Strong Runner Chicks. Welcome to another RC Radio. I feel like I haven't said that in a while. I have not been present here as much as Megan has, um, but tonight I'm super excited. I am joined co-hosting with Elena. Elena, welcome. Yes, same with Kelsey. I have not gotten to join in a podcast in a couple months myself, so it's nice to be back. Yes, and you all just heard the wonderful bio of our amazing guest tonight. So, Risa, welcome. Thank you so much for being here with us. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Um, what was, Risa, the best part of your day so far? Um, this is actually really appropriate. The best part of my day is that through like a long snafu, I ended up with um, a pair of running shoes that I didn't really fit me. I went on two runs with them. They weren't a good fit for me. Um, and I needed a place to donate them. And I uh, actually just got back from a walk to local high school. I called the AD and I was like, super random, but I have a pair of shoes. I can't use them. Are there any girls at your school who might need them? 
could put them to good use. They literally have six miles on them and they're, you know, like nice Brooks shoes. Um, so I just got back from a walk to high school to drop those off. And uh, I just really am grateful for the opportunity to give something um, to uh, an athletic girl today. That's fantastic. And I, I would imagine those are much appreciated. I know it's so funny. I remember talking with folks about the accessibility of running and everybody's like, well, you just put on a pair of shoes. And I'm like, well, yeah, those shoes are expensive for some folks. So it's, it's always um, a helpful reminder to hear things like that and, you know, really donate shoes if folks have ones that are not as worn as, as they could be and someone else might utilize those. Or I know they're recycling some and in some instances as well. I'm not as familiar with that, but I appreciate you doing that. And I'm sure the, the individual who wears those will also appreciate those as well. I mean, yeah, right. Like on that note, it's not that common that we have a pair of shoes that are, have almost no miles on them, right? By the time I donate most of my running shoes, they are like well past, you know, their running capacity. They're certainly good shoes for other, for other uses. Um, but it makes me just happy that I had the chance to do this through kind of a long sort of events in which I ended up with shoes I couldn't use. Um, so to pass on that goodwill. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. How about you, Alina? Anything great happened to you today? Oh, that's a great question. Um, honestly, being able to sleep in a bit this morning after a couple of long days and being able to uh, go for a run and the breeze was blowing today. It's been quite hot here um, the past few weeks. And so it's nice to have a little breeze and um, just to more mindfully and uh, enjoy my day today. So it was very nice. Yeah, there's nothing better sometimes to slow start to the day. Yeah. Either of you, but there's just something so nice, whether that slow start involves lying in bed and like doing a good morning stretch where you stretch your hands over like that feeling of just like stretching your body or um going for a walk or like whatever that looks like to folks. There's nothing better than like maybe shaking up the routine and doing something a little different and slower or faster, depending on what our bodies and our minds need. So I'm glad that's how you started your day. Yeah. And Kelsey, how was what was the best part of your day so far? Um, well, my dad's birthday was yesterday, um, which was really nice. And, um, <laughs> my family's still figuring out how to use zoom, even though, you know, it's, it's been a year that most folks have been using zoom, but, um, so it was really nice to have the space to, to see them in, in quote unquote in person, um, and spend some time and laugh with them. And I saw our cats and all of that. So I think that was probably the best part of my day was being able to kind of sit down and spend like half an hour with my family, which I haven't been able to do since I'm moving back to Columbus. So it had, it, I, I would definitely say that was the best part of my day. So it was nice to catch up with them and, and see them. Oh, that sounds so nice and joyful. Always nice to connect with family when we're far away and, and see them virtually. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's dive right in. I mean, Risa, we have so much we want to chat with you about, and of course, be mindful of your time. So, um, you know, we would love to hear, you know, kind of what sparked your interest in the study of sport and culture. You know, it's a really interesting path to choose and, and would just love to hear what you're willing to share with us today. Yeah, thanks so much. It's a great question. Um, and it, it's like a story that I feel like I tell a lot and it never gets shorter. So I'm going to try to like hit the bullet points here. Um, as a person, I, I think, right, we all have a lot of different parts to us. I think that my kind of studying of sports and culture stems from four parts of me. Um, the part of me that is an athlete, the part of me that is a scholar, the part of me that is like a huge women's sports fan, um, 
And the part of me that just like deeply believes that we have to do something while we're here in this world that like makes it a better place. Um, and so I feel like all these different parts at some point kind of intersected, right? So I grew up being super active, being, you know, one of the only girls playing on my rec soccer team and, um, you know, playing in the street hoops with my dad or catch or like whatever I could get my hands on. I was just kind of always active. I wasn't always the best athlete, but I loved anything I could do um, that had me playing sports. Um, I also, um, you know, grew up as the WNBA was launching. So I was about seven years old when um, the WNBA launched. I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona, which is home to one of the original WNBA teams. Um, and I just think like there, I didn't obviously know it at the time. And I think only in recent years have I really reflected and realized just how powerful it was to be a seven-year-old girl growing up surrounded by the energy that launched the most successful professional women's sports league that we've had in this country's history. Um, I mean, there's like nothing like that. And I think, you know, people could say that at any age, um, but I, I think like seven is a uniquely kind of um, impressionable age um, and like significant kind of developmental age. And so I'm just so grateful that those coincided um, at the same time that I was, you know, being an athlete myself and cheering on the Phoenix Mercury. Um, I was also always really involved in a lot of different ways of giving back to my community, community service at the time, which as I got older, I learned a bit about more social change and what these things mean. Um, and I had kind of this like uh, moment of stress, I guess, when I thought, you know, all I want to do is work in sports. I like literally was 13 years old. I remember standing at the kitchen counter and telling my mom, like, all I want to do is work in sports, but like, I have to do something that matters more than just be part of some like, you know, capitalistic, like, I don't know, thing. Uh, and, you know, my mom, like, totally to her credit was just like, have you ever thought about how sport can be like used for good? Um, and my mom is not the first person to think that, right? And, and I'm not the first person to have those thoughts, but she was the first person who presented it to me as, you know, maybe these things aren't actually as opposing forces as you've presented them in your 13-year-old brain. And so that set me on this journey of trying to learn as much as I could about how sport gets used for social change. And through that, um, you know, I stumbled upon like a blogosphere of academics who were writing at the time, I don't know, in the early 2000s where blogs were super popular. And I just started reading them voraciously. Um, and that really kind of brought up this like fourth part of me, right? That was this like scholar um, around these. And at the same time, I stumbled upon kind of like the business aspect of this stuff. And I remember also, um, you know, coming across the collective bargaining, bargaining agreement for the WNBA when I was in the eighth grade um, and like printing it out before bed and reading it because I just like wanted to learn everything I could about the business of this thing that I love, um, what's happening behind, you know, behind the scenes to make this all happen. And so I think just, you know, all of these incremental experiences and getting, you know, having some people share some ideas with me, um, reading voraciously, you know, whatever I could in the blogs, watching whatever documentaries and movies, learning about the nonprofits that were doing sport for development, helped me just start kind of come up with some of my own theories of change around sport and social change. Um, and, you know, what it comes down to is like today, it's just how I see the world. Like I can't look at sport and not see social dynamics. And I also can't like have a conversation really about social dynamics in the real world without being like, well, here's how that plays out in sports. And so for me, um, they, they just go together so seamlessly. Um, and it's just kind of this lens that I have um, that touches me personally and it, uh, you know, as an athlete and um, as a business person and a scholar and a thinker and, and a fan. Um, and I, that, yeah, I guess probably the not that short story.
No, we always welcome long stories here. Like that, <laughs> in, in my regard, that's what I think a podcast is for is right. We're here to hear you and hear your perspective, and share your experiences. So I, I appreciate the long stories. I appreciate the explanations. And I think something that I love that you spoke to was speaking to the multiple parts and, and your own worldview and like how that either is brought into the setting that you're working or how that shapes the way you view the world as a whole. Like I think that in and of itself is so powerful um, as a scholar or academic or other parts of you as an athlete, you know, because it is the way we view the world or, or the way you view the world or, or any of us in our own worldview. So I really appreciate you, you nodding to that and kind of illuminating that aspect of, of how you got to kind of where you are at this point in time. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, and Risa, you spoke on how sport has become such a large piece of your world and how you want to make using sport to make a change in the world. And so you're currently pursuing your PhD right now, which is a huge undertaking. Um, and so I was curious to know um, either, since you're just kind of getting into it, what research topics you're currently studying or something that you're kind of looking forward to or want to dive into a little bit deeper in the coming years. Yeah, um, one of the things I'm really excited about is the work I did this past year uh, as a research fellow with the Laboratory for Inclusion and Diversity in Sport at UMass where I'm getting my PhD. Um, and with the incredible support of some undergrads and master's students and some guidance from my advisor, I helped let, lead a team um, that undertook a project basically to look at racial disparities within women's sports. So, so often I think these conversations about equity in sport, particularly when we look at gender, they like compare men's and women's, right? Women get this and men get this and look at that inequity. And absolutely, we need that work to be done because there are gross inequities between the genders. There's also a lot of inequity that happens within each gender. And so what our team did was we looked in particular at what are the racial disparities within WNBA coverage. Um, we looked at the 2020 season, right, which was the season that happened in the midst of this great racial reckoning that our country was part of after George Floyd's murder. Um, that, you know, was a WNBA season specifically, you know, devoted to social justice. The court said Black Lives Matter. The warm-up shirt said say her name. Right? Like if we were going to have a racially equitable season, this should have been it. And what we ended up finding was that um, white WNBA players uh, had about twice as much media coverage as their black teammates. And that's after you hold constant um, and control for points and rebounds, right? So we're not talking about who the best players are. We're not talking about, you know, the on-court contributions because in fact, um, about 80% of the postseason awards went to black players, but they got less than half the amount of coverage as their white teammates. And so um, diving into that work, I think was really important and really eye-opening for a lot of folks. And I'm also just really proud that it's gotten the attention of some folks in industry who have, you know, called us and said, how do we do better on this? And um, that has, you know, I think really been seen as a call to action um, and seen as a place to do better and um, that a number of people have started speaking to. And, and so, you know, that's been, I think, a really exciting project for my first year. And I owe a lot of credit too, to, um, you know, the folks who really sparked this research question for me is just like through reading a tweet um, last summer, someone had shared some of these reflections and it got me thinking about what I was seeing myself, right? Um, and then, okay, here's what we think we're seeing. How do we actually quantify that? How do we measure it? How do we understand it? And how do we put it in the context of the 2020 season and in the context of history and in the context of all these different gender dynamics, right? And intersectional feminism. Um, and so that, that's, I, I would say, one thing uh, that we've been diving into pretty um, intensely this past year. 
Yeah, if I think I could sum that up in a word, I would imagine it would be intense, right? Like there are a lot of, it is multiple, like very layered as it rightfully so, you know? Um, and I, I think what is so powerful in that is that how do we do better on this? I heard you, mm -hmm. you know, that question and that, that, that question that um, others have come to you after reading the study and seeing that. And I think, you know, in and of itself, also, what might be really valuable here is what you spoke about of like measuring it, like in these contexts and like demonstrating this to people, um, and and like like through through research. Because, anyways, I just I'm kind of rambling at this point now, but I, I I think that this is is such a really interesting topic because it sounds like it's something that isn't isn't researched often. You know, the mm -hmm. the racial disparities that incur you know in women in sports. You know, as you mentioned earlier, it's usually like men versus women or you know however that plays out but I, I appreciate you, the work that's done on this because it does sound like it is very needed. Thanks yeah and, and to that point right so so often we look at inequities in sports and we compare the genders or so much of the research right this idea that there's racial bias in sport is literally not new um, I mean there's research going back decades on it right um, and they largely look at men's sport right so it was kind of looking uh, and there are a few folks who have looked at women's sport before in different ways. Um, and, and so, you know, it was like taking this approach and then also this intersectional approach, right? We were able to look at not just um, the disparities by race within the WNBA, but, you know, the, these intersectional um, implications of, you know, race and, you know, being publicly queer or race and having a more masculine gender expression, right? Like, what are all the layers that our athletes are wearing? And how do those layers and those identities um, get read by people and then, you know, how does kind of like bias work against them? And, and I think some people say, well, okay, media coverage, like, does that really matter in some way, right? And, and I would say it totally matters, right? Because it's creating our worldviews, it's creating, right, this idea of who we see and, and what we value. And then, you know, I think there's so much conversation on like pay equity, right? We talk about the U.S. Women's National Team and people want to talk about equal pay for equal play and absolutely 100%. And what some people don't always think about is the fact that, you know, like pay equity is also um, the result or pay inequity is the result of other inequities, right? And so if we're talking about media coverage and we're talking to the WNBA and we know that black players aren't getting the same amount of media coverage as their white players, they're not seen as as valuable marketing tools, right? So now they're going to have sponsorships that are less worth less money, right? Um, they're not going like just media begets more media begets sponsors begets actual money, right? And so I think we have to recognize that all of these layers and all of these um, implications, I guess, come together to have some really important, I guess, impact on real people and on our world. Yeah, I love how you brought up that point of that layer, so different layers that athletes wear, which I think we're kind of seeing that even a little bit more. Currently, the Olympics are going on, the Paralympics are soon to be going on as well, and we're learning just as the media coverage, which... Um, that gives me another perspective of something to think about a little bit more now is, okay, what coverage am I seeing and what stories am I missing out on right now too, now as I'm listening, um, but with Simone Biles and learning about those layers, uh, obviously that's front of mind right now and the layers that she is carrying as well as so many other athletes as well. So um, I really, I think that's a good way to put that point. A hundred percent. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Lisa, I have a question, and this is probably just um, more of a, a scholar question here. Um, the, the particular research that you're speaking to here, did you do that? It sounded like it was quantitative, but was it quantitative or qualitative in, in means? 
Yeah. So it was a quantitative content analysis. So we were looking at right qualitative sources, um, aka like online documents and news stories and articles that were written over the course of the WNBA season, about 550 different articles um, from three different media sources and WNBA's own press releases. Um, but then what we were able to do was quantify the amount of coverage that each of those athletes received in those pieces. Gotcha. Okay. I was just curious because my like research of mine was like, oh, this is really interesting that it sounds as though you're using qualitative means, but also are quantifying it using this. So I was just curious to see how, how that played out and what kind of format or I guess method, if you, if you want to use that term even, um, was used in order to kind of see your findings. Um, and so yeah, I, I, I appreciate the, the similar to Elena, I appreciate, you know, kind of the layers piece and, and what kind of goes into that. And um, I guess even maybe we could have started our conversation tonight speaking to this, but I actually originally um, saw you for the first time recently when you were presenting at the Female Athlete Conference. And this is out of Boston Children's for folks who are listening who don't know. It's a fantastic program, fantastic conference. I was really honored to be a part of it. And I heard Risa speak and, you know, she... Gabe, well, Risa, I won't speak for you, but um, I'd love to for you if you would be willing to share with everybody kind of what you did and and yeah, kind of what you did. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so I mean, I was really honored to have the the chance to be at the Female Athlete Conference, mostly because my role was as a moderator of a panel of youth athletes, um, and so I was really privileged to be in conversation with three incredible athletes um, between the ages of twelve and sixteen or seventeen representing a variety of different sports, um, representing a variety of different backgrounds, different places that they're growing up, um, you know, someone who's a para um, athlete, other folks who are playing in um, sports without disabilities, right? And so just like a variety of different sport experiences, some who started playing sports when they were 17, some who started playing sports when they were super young, um, you know, whatever, just like a variety of different of backgrounds. And I thought it was so important to have that conversation because so often right, we have these conversations about girls in sports and we don't actually stop to listen to girls in sports, right? Um, and, and so that was just my goal was to say, I'm just here to, to um, create some space for these girls to share their stories. So, you know, and at the beginning when we, when we met, they were like, is there a right answer? And it's like, no, literally the right answer is whatever you're thinking, whatever you're feeling, whoever you are, like, that's right. And you don't have to share anything you don't want to share and whatever you do want to share, like the mic is yours and you can say kind of whatever is on your heart, whatever you want people here to know about your experiences um, as a girl in sports. And, and so it was just really such an honor to be alongside them um, and for them to share their stories with me and with everyone at the conference. Yeah, I, as someone who attended that session, it was particularly looking forward to that session. I I loved every bit of it. And the reason why I loved every bit of it is because of what you just mentioned. So often I find that practitioners and scholars and researchers and all these folks assume to know what girls in sports need or women in sports needs or female in sports needs or whomever in sports needs, but we don't actually listen to their experiences. We don't actually listen to what they need. Um, and it, it, I think in and of itself, it was so powerful to give them that space to talk about that, give them that platform, but also connect them, right? Like also recognize like, oh wait, you're experiencing that too? Or like, yeah, some of the things that I heard them say, and I don't remember specifically, but a lot of like the kind of the, the, the short words were like, oh yeah, I can relate to that. Or, oh yeah, I, I've been through that too. And so it's almost in a way creating a community um, of these three young women who came here and, and you know, 
you, you know, gave them the space to be able to do that. And so anyways, I think it's, it was just a really powerful session. I think for a lot of folks in that space who were watching it, and I, I never want to assume to know what other folks are speak or thinking or, or what their presence are like, but I would imagine that for folks who are not as hands-on with young girls in sports or do so in more medical setting, it's a lot different to hear about kind of their experiences versus their injuries or, you know, the, or, or whatever else they're going through um, with regards to that. So I think providing that space is something that, I would encourage folks to do more often if, if given the opportunity to do so or the privilege in that regard. So um, yeah, it was just a really great, really great talk. I don't think it's um, available for anybody to sign up and register to watch anymore, but for those who are listening, I would encourage you, you know, in, if you are working with young athletes or not even young, any age athletes, invite them to have a conversation, like hear what's going on in their lives outside of just seeing them as an athlete because they are a human being in general. So I was, I was really just enjoyed that, that conversation and, and that panel. Thanks. I'm so glad to know that it landed in that way because that was totally the hope and you never really know, right, exactly how do others receive it? Um, do others find this valuable, right, or who's actually listening to this? And so um, I really appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's something that we here at Strong Runner Chicks like to offer that platform as well for folks to come and speak to us and let us know what's going on so that we can cater to them um, and make it a, a community setting as well. Like, like I said, it's really nice to know someone else who's going through something that you are. It just makes it that much easier to, to go through it. So um, yeah, appreciate that. And I, I have no doubt that other folks who were attendants probably had similar, similar reactions. At least the chat box in the Zoom function seemed to, to, to demonstrate that. Um, so with regards to kind of the panel and then moving forward in, in general in life, um, you know, what do you believe are some actionable steps? I'm going to maybe break this question up into two parts here. So first and foremost, um, what are some actionable steps that we can take to increase participation of female leaders in sports as athletes? And, um, this is kind of a general question. So however you want to take this is going to be great. Just like with the panelists you have, however you want to take, there's no wrong answer here. Like we want that. So, um, um, first of all, let's start with, you know, uh, increased participation of female uh, leaders as athletes. Totally. It's a great question. Um, it's one I get asked a lot, and sometimes I feel like it still stumps me. Um, and then I always come back to this wisdom um, that I heard Allison Felix share a few years ago at a panel um, that I, I was uh, in the audience for. And uh, this isn't her exact quote, uh, but she said basically something like, we have to remember that there are lots of different kinds of girls, right? So often this question is, how do we get more girls in sports? And, and we can't have that conversation if we don't recognize all the different kinds of girls that there are, right? All the different kinds of girls who wanna play sports, the different kinds of sports they wanna play, the reasons that they're playing sports, the barriers that they have to playing sports, like the variety of backgrounds that they're coming from and that how that influences their experiences, right? And so I think first and foremost, like the most actionable step we can take to some extent is almost to like stop asking, <laughs> no offense, stop asking like such like a, a broad question that paints girls as this like monolithic, you know, category of we just need more girls in sports and we can do that by doing X, right? Um, be because the reality is the moment we do X, X is gonna hit some number of girls, but it's not gonna hit all girls, right? And the moment that we say X is the answer, um, we're still leaving so many girls behind. And so X might be an answer and there's Y and there's A and B and J and K and L and like, right? Like, and more than, than the alphabet. Um, 
So I think that's one actionable step is just to remember that there are a lot of different kinds of girls. Um, and then in, in that sense, right, like have conversations with girls. What do you need, right? What's you, what do you want out of sport? What has your experience been, right? To cater to um, those nuances and those um, just differences and backgrounds and experiences and wants and hopes. Um, I think the other thing that I sometimes get frustrated with this question um, is also this idea that like, if we just, forgetting about the fact that we can't just do X because X is not gonna hit all the girls. So often, you know, even when we like, come up with like X, Y, and Z or something. It's like this idea of like, if we just have the right initiative, we're going to get girls in sports. And the reality is like girls in sports are fighting against culture every single day of their lives that tells them not to be an athlete, to tell them that they're not worth anything as athletes, to tell them that they don't matter, that they're not as good, that they like, and so almost like this idea, like if we just have the right program, we're going to be okay just feels so silly to me because if girls spend an hour a day in an incredible program, but 23 hours a day surrounded by cultural messaging that tells them they don't matter, that hour, it matters a little bit, but it matters at like 1 24th of what it could be. And so I think we have to think about more than just how do we get girls in sports with X kind of a program or outreach or, right. And I'm not even talking about things that like make things pink, right? Like even if people do more than make things pink, right, which they should, we're still not going to, I think, have the outcomes we want to have as long as our media doesn't show girls and women in sports. And as long as we have cultural jargon that says you throw like a girl, right, as long as we demean girls, um, we have girl push-ups, right? Um, and so uh, that I, I would say, like, at the risk of saying something so broad that maybe it's almost useless, right, but it's like paying, I guess, paying attention to A, how many different kinds of girls there are, and then paying attention to the everyday messages we send girls that basically counteract any kind of good program or initiative we might do that can encourage girls to get into sports. So I'm gonna hold some space for that answer <laughs> because that was probably the best answer I have ever heard to that question. And I have asked that question to a lot of people. And the reason why I asked that question is because it is a hard question to answer. You're absolutely right. Um, and I'm always curious to hear how folks who are in this space and who are really involved in this space answer that question. So I want to hold space for that question because, or that answer, excuse me, because that I would believe is exactly what needs to be done as well. Um, but I think the way you spoke about it, because it's so important. Um, like, I love that you spoke about like the one, one out of 24 hours of the day, if we have that programming for one out of the 24 hours a day, well, what is going on in the other 23 hours of these individuals lives? Probably a lot, right? And if we don't take that into consideration in the actual setting that they're in, it's not that program's not going to do anything for them. Like, let's be honest, like I and it's so Anyways, I'm going to step off my soapbox, but Alina, any thoughts on this as well? I feel like I've been, you know, kind of talking a lot, so I want to be mindful of, of, of that as well. Now, I was going to comment and say that that everyday messaging piece that you brought up that you just touched on as well, Kelsey, because you, you think about that, you're at practice, and I was also thinking of the dynamic, I know somewhat related, but many of female athletes in sport have male coaches, and that adds to that piece of what are we hearing every day, how is our coach coming in and addressing those issues by stepping on that boundary line of what, as a male coach, what are certain questions that they can ask us or talk to us about without making the, a female athlete feel uncomfortable in that sense, but also acknowledging 
what we're going through and what we're dealing with because um throughout my athletic career I've always had uh, male coaches and you know they've all I've learned something from every single one of them and they've all been great to a certain extent but there's always been certain areas where like wait I'm missing out on this area or this gap or I would have loved to have a discussion about this without it being awkward or like missing out on certain points so like so what I'm getting at Risa is um to touch on that male coach piece with female athletes do you have anything to add on that piece at all um, I think, I mean, so nationally, I think it's something like 25% of coaches um, in youth sports are women, and that's for sports of any gender, um, right? And, and that's like quite a low number. Uh, and it's super important for our girls. I would also say it's really important for our boys to have women coaches too, right? Like if what we're trying to teach through sport is respect and um, here's what leadership looks like or could look like, here's a lot of different ways, um, right? Like it's super important that boys grow up having women leaders, um, just as it's important that girls grow up having women leaders and also, right, girls grow up having male leaders is important. Um, it doesn't need to be like every leader in our life, right, as it kind of currently is skewed so often. Um, but absolutely, right, having women as coaches is super important. And, and I think what's interesting is so often these conversations then become like, how do we get moms to coach? And as someone who's not a mom, I just feel like those conversations are like missing a huge portion of the population that actually might coach but not be a mom. Um, and so, right, we need to have more women coaches. We need to have more coaches who are gender diverse broadly. Um, and we need to not think that like only parents can fill those roles. Yeah, and I think especially like in a, a youth setting that happens a lot is, you know, like parents fill the roles of like, I'm gonna volunteer and be my child's coach or, you know, coach here and there. And, um, you know, it is really powerful when someone who is not a parent steps into that role and, and kind of sees what happens there and, you know, is able to provide for that um, in that setting. And so, um, Olene, I think I might've just, in, I think you were going to say something and I just kind of barged right in. So I'll let you finish there, but yeah, good point, Risa. I appreciate that. No, I was just going to say, thanks for touching on that. <laughs> um, as I, even that piece about like moms and sports are just, you know, especially I said females, but, you know, along the whole um, gender spectrum as well um, and what different, um, coaches and, and how we can view them and relate to them as well. Um, and having people that athletes can relate to and who are like them is, is super important. And I guess on that note too, right? There's some really important research that um, basically shows also like the difference of experiences that women of color have as coaches, right? Um, and the ways that they get funneled into certain positions or overlooked here. And right, so like, I think also, right? Anytime we're having this conversation about um, the fact that we need more women, you know, in coaching, um, again, it kind of comes right. And then there are questions like, well, how do you do that? Right. And recognizing that there, right. There are lots of different kinds of women. Um, and there are lots of different experiences as a result of the different identities that women wear, um, and have, and, um, like not settling for, oh, well, we got more women without realizing that all we got were white women. Right. Um, or all we got were women without disabilities or all we got, right. Like whatever. And so, um, I think as we have these conversations about increasing access and opportunity um, and representation, it needs to be with an intersectional lens that accounts for the diversity of girls and women that there are. Mm -hmm. 100%. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I think, you know, speaking to that intersectionality piece is like also honoring all that, that, that person holds, right. Is like not just seeing them at face value, quote unquote, is like what other 
what other areas can they bring, you know, to the space? Mm -hmm. Um, And that doesn't mean tokenizing them in any regard, but it just means like recognizing that there's probably many layers to that person going back to the conversation that we were part of the conversation that, you know, we had earlier um, and honoring that and respecting that in and of itself, um, you know, so I, I, I do appreciate that that point on intersectionality, Risa, that you bring up, because I think it is a really powerful statement to make, you know, not only as female leaders in sports um, in general um, and what that looks like, um, and then kind of answering that second, this is like that two-part question that, you know, I mentioned a while ago, but the second part here of like, first was, you know, um, female leaders in sports as athletes, and then female leaders in who are working in, in sports in general. And so... I'm really curious to hear how you answer this question based off of the last question I asked, but I will purposely leave it general again. And, and I feel <laughs> you're more than welcome to look at me and be like, Kelsey, oh my God, and roll the eyes and hate this question. That is all welcome to hear, but I'm going to leave it general. <laughs> no, 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 it's not a terrible question. I mean, I think it's similar, right? We have to realize that different women have different experiences. And so some of my, um, my advisor and, and uh, some other faculty at UMass have done some really important research on a tipping point that happens um, for Black lesbian women who work in college sports, right, which is a very different experience than even white lesbian women um, or, or queer women, um, though I actually think everyone in their sample was lesbian, not like identifying with anything else, but, but right, like even with that, right, there are different experiences, and so um, we have to create cultures that are affirming of all different kinds of people to be their full selves and contribute their best selves, um, and and I, I think if we do that, like, that's what, that's how you get people, you know, to have leadership positions is by valuing um, the different contributions that each individual can make um, and by creating spaces where each individual can be their full self. Yeah, I had figured that maybe your, your answer might relate to the past answer, but I also wanted to offer the space if you did have any other thoughts regarding that. And yeah, I think that the last point you made there about honoring the whole person, like literally the whole person, like everything about them, honor that and respect that. And I appreciate it. So yes, I would say that that to me is probably a really good reminder for, for myself. I'll only speak to myself for myself and then for, um, you know, just a great statement to make in general. Um, Alina, any thoughts or any any follow-ups that you're you're curious about or, or questions that you want to you know share or thoughts you want to share? Yeah, no. Um, I just think having these conversations and bringing them to light are are how you know we continue to bring um, change and also to increase research because my mind's a little bit blown that you know now you're like wow there there's so many things to research in sport that we need to look at these dynamics so. Thank you to you, Risa, for being there and looking into this research because um, that's not something I had thought about so much or like not even like look for research articles on those topics. And uh, now my interest is peaked to pay attention to that a little bit more and dive into those topics. And as I mentioned, even before talking about the Olympics and like as a viewer, you know, watching the Olympics um, when we can, because the time change is a little odd, um, but maybe for you in Hawaii, it's not as strange, but um, you know, what coverage is coming and, you know, um, just those different aspects. And you don't hear too much about the coaches as much at the Olympics, but thinking about like, who are those coaches for the athletes and what does that look like? Obviously this year for the Olympic games and Paralympic games is quite different. Um, and so I kind of wanted to, to ask you a little questions about that. Um, 
was to um, ask you, what do you feel we can learn about um, more through um, sport and culture through watching the Olympic and Paralympic Games throughout this next month? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think, you know, in short, we can learn like what we value, who we value and why. Um, and I think there have been some really, really smart people writing about really actually what this Olympics tells us about um, how we don't value black women um, as we police the hormones of women broadly and the disproportionate effect that has on women, particularly black women of color from the global south. Um, you know, as we look at swim caps that aren't allowed um, because they quote unquote, like don't follow the form of the natural head, but like, of course they do, right? They just don't follow the form of my natural head as a white person, um, but they follow the form of other people's natural heads, right? Um, as we look at, right, the conversations around Simone Biles and what does it mean for her to um, step down from the competition so far and what her experience has been so far. I mean, as we look at the fact that women had the 1500 in swimming for the first time, um, you know, and then as we look at the fact that like most people won't watch the Paralympics, right? And so broadly speaking, I think as we look at both the conversations that are happening, the policies that are in place, um, as we look at kind of where people's attentions are, as we look at the events that are allowed and disallowed and how they're regulated, right? Broadly, we learn like what we value, who we value and why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, go ahead, Elena. Go. No, I'd say that those are um, three really great points to, to think about. And um, even your point of bringing up that most people aren't going to watch the Paralympic game. And uh, in my mind, I think those are even more, um, we learn so much more from that, um, watching the Paralympic games and just, you know, things we don't think about all the time and the obstacles and barriers that those athletes have faced to get there. Um, even I know um, in the recently in the media about the, uh, I'm apologize, I'm forgetting her name, top of my head, the swimmer who cannot, who had to step down from going to the Paralympic games because her mom couldn't come to a sister. Um, and just those different things that we're learning about, um, I think due in part to people being a little bit more aware about issues and, and what's going on, um, due in part to social media. Um, and then also just, COVID and what um, issues that's bringing to light that maybe we hadn't considered in the past, but hopefully moving forward, um, some changes will be made. I was just reading, I'm not sure if you're familiar, but uh, a good friend of Kelsey and ours and a supporter of Strong Runner Chicks, Emma Zimmerman, has a podcast called Social Sport, and she just sent out a newsletter um, talking about the Olympic Games, you know, love them or hate them, like she kind of broke that down a little bit. So I was reading through that. Um, actually, prior to this podcast, I was like, maybe I get some good insight in there. Um, and I, the, the pieces that I've always thought about too are just like, you know, we have the venues all set up and like, what happens to these venues afterwards? I know this doesn't totally relate to this conversation, but just good points to bring up and think about as we're viewers, but also as as we are athletes or just people who care about um, watching Olympic games. So it was a little bit of a ramble there, but uh, I, I think it's always, it's interesting just seeing how all these countries come together and especially this year with COVID and all these dynamics and people coming together and like how we feel about that. So many things to break down there. Yeah, Risa, as you were talking, I like literally threw my hands up in the air um, I, just because I think it's, First of all, as Elena mentioned, the three three kind of points that you 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 know reference there, you know what we value, who we value, and why. If folks really took if, if folks took a moment just to, to answer those three questions, 
not only related to the Olympics and the Paralympics, maybe related to sports, maybe related to life in general, like who are you surrounding yourself with? Like, why are you surrounding yourself with those folks? Like, like these three questions I think are so fundamental just to how we function through our everyday lives and the interactions we have with folks and the interactions we have with ourselves. Um, And so I think in and of itself, those three questions, I just so appreciate you bringing to the table. I've said, I appreciate you so many times in this conversation because I truly mean it. And I don't like to repeat myself like that because it sounds like oversaturated, but I truly, I'm just grateful for you bringing up these thoughtful points that I'll just speak for myself. I haven't always thought of. And so, but the one where I threw my hands up the most was folks who, you know, will forget, don't even know that the Paralympics are happening, right? They have no idea that those are going on after this because our media coverage of them is so poor. I don't know if that'll change this upcoming year. To be honest, I I can't speak to that. I haven't done the research on that quite yet. Um, It's usually something that as the time gets closer, um, I I start looking into as, um, so anyways, But yeah, it's, yeah, I think those three questions, if folks, you know, really think about, you know, if we just want to narrow it down to this particular question in this interview of like the Paralympics and um, the Olympics, like, who are you spending your time watching and why, you know, what is coming up for you in those instances, you know, what, what is going on in your mind when you're watching these individuals, what are thought processes that you're having, what are maybe judgments that you're making, like, all these questions, like, are these self-reflection questions, excuse me, can be really hard, so I want to acknowledge that, and, but that's doing the work, and we need that to happen, so I, I think these questions are really fundamental in order just to better understand ourselves as human beings and their interactions that we have with others. So thank you for bringing them up. Yeah, totally. And I would say they're absolutely introspective questions. They're also, I think, questions we can use to look at, right, like the policies and the structures and the systems that are in place. Um, And like, based on those, right, who do we value and why, right? And what do we value? And how are we making those judgments? Um, And what does that mean kind of institutionally? Yeah, yep, I agree with that. Yeah, as someone who's really just focuses a lot on higher education institutions. Um, these questions, I think, are just, yeah, I love to bring this to higher ups and really be like, okay, what's going on in your brain here? But I mean, I'm not in that space to be able to do that in my role, but maybe in the future, who knows? But yes, I think institutionally, um, policy, politically, like all, I think these fundamental, uh, these are fundamental questions that can really transcend a lot of different spaces um, in order to help support a, a wider experience of, of of life for folks. If, if, if I want to put it that quote unquote simply, maybe that isn't simple. I don't know. Um, so anyways, um, you know, we, we want to start wrapping up kind of our conversation or else I really truly feel like we could talk for hours on this. Um, uh, and so I want to be mindful of everybody's time who's listening and your Reese's and Elena's and, and even my own, to be honest. So um, our two final questions here. So the first one, once again, is another broad question. Um, and so um, I would love to see what, ha- what has been, um, from your own worldview, um, kind of your perspective on this question. So in what ways have you seen teams and athletes use sport as a platform for bringing awareness to social justice um, issues? And so um, I think one of the reasons why we wanted to bring this question up is because it's going to be different for everybody, right? Like, as we, we nodded to before, everybody pays attention to different things. Um, and so we'd love to hear kind of what has been brought up for you? Totally. I mean, I think the first thing is just like acknowledging that athletes have been doing this for generations, right? They've been doing it long before I at 13 sat there and was like, oh, sports and social change, right? Um, like so far, so far before that. Um, 
I think so often we look at these this this question um, and we answer it with some version of like, well, there was this protest, right? Or there was this statement. And those are super, super important moments. Um, they lead to great reckonings. Um, they're, they're like, we can't have social change without them. At the same time, I think what's often overlooked when we answer with just like, well, this protest or this statement or this, 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 is the way that athletes represent social justice just by being them, just by showing up, just by participating and competing, right? So we're thinking about what does it mean when women are athletes, like period, in a world that tells them like that they're not that strong and they shouldn't use their body, right, for their own pleasure or their own glory. What does it mean for trans athletes to show up and say like, I'm competing and I have a right to this starting line, right? The same, um, right? Like, what does it mean for black athletes to have shown up over decades in white, kind of supremacist spaces and say like, I have a right to be here, right? Um, and I'm good and I'm great. And I'm not just here to participate, I'm here to compete. And so I think, you know, this question could be answered in a number of ways. And one of the things I'm particularly interested in right now, right, is just like the way that athletes represent social justice just by being themselves, particularly, right, like diverse athletes, um, just by being them. Uh, you could probably make, yeah, so period. <laughs> No, that's great. Yeah, no, Risa, I appreciate that because um, I think your phrasing of, just, of, of showing up um, and like coming to that space, um, just being them and showing up, I mean, in and of itself, like you could just leave it at that statement. And, and I think that's a, a way to answer this question that I have never heard before and something that I sh like feel like I need to recognize more often. And so I really appreciate that statement there because it in and of itself, yeah, that that's kind of what it's all about in some ways. So yeah, great. Yeah, I, I agree with what you said there, Kelsey, as well. And um, I know this next question um, that we have also relates to that question, but um, it's a, again, different perspectives that you can take. But um, Risa, why do you believe that sport is an avenue for social change? Yeah, thanks so much. So I think, it's like a, a two-part answer for me. Um, I think the first part, I, I don't really know what order these go in. So just the first one I'm going to speak to is that I think sports an avenue for social change because it's a mirror, right? Um, it's a barometer. It like is a lens through which we can see who we are, um, through which we can see the world. The things that are happening in sports, they're really not very different from what's happening out of sports. Sport is just like a Petri dish that's confined, that gives us a place to see it and to look intensely at it. Um, and, and so I think that's one way that sport can be very useful because um, it helps us kind of see who we are, even who we are when we don't, you know, who we are in a way that we don't like. Um, the other thing that I think is really important in these conversations about sport being an avenue for social change is like sport is not, despite the fact that I just said like, you know, athletes showing up as them like is social justice. Um, sport itself is not inherently social change, right? Sport is inherently political. It is not inherently social change. It is not automatically some great force for good, right? That only happens, I think, when we have a reflexive practice. It only happens when we are intentional about our policies, about inclusion, about equity. It only happens when we say we want sport to be a force for good, and we then use sport in a way to achieve those goals. Um, Otherwise, sport is actually just a tool of white supremacy and, you know, like 
patriarchy and like any other ill that we're fighting outside of the sports field. And so um, I think we have to have both right, this intentionality and we have to have this reflexive practice of using sport to see who we are and saying, well, shoot, that's not really who we want to be. Okay, so how do we do better? That is a response. Um, uh, that, that's a different response than what I've heard in the past. And I, I like how you you just take a different lens to that. It's, it is a little bit of a broad, um, using the sense of your broad response. But I think that it captures all the different ways that um, you know we look at sport and, and how people relate to it. And I like that Petri dish analogy as well. Like it is, especially not all sports are on TV or have the media broadcast to be on TV, but for those sports that are, it is a smaller Petri dish that we're looking into. <laughs> it feels like it on our TV screens. Um, that's smaller and we're seeing that and observing all the differences there. Or even if you're attending an event in person, which um, seems like that's a far away um, world, <laughs> but look forward to that in the future sometime. Um, but I appreciate your response again, talking, talking on the appreciation piece, but it's been so wonderful to talk with you and to have a little bit of a more introspective conversation to think through things. And I hope that listeners as well can take, take some things away and focus a little bit more. Um, we'll have to add those questions that you had, the three questions to, to reflect on. Um, have to add those in into the show notes or whatnot to quickly get a snapshot and look back on. Thank you so much for having me. I mean, just on this appreciation, I'm so grateful for the questions you had and for the time and space to have this conversation with you all and to share um, with the listeners uh, who will be tuning into this as well. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Risa, for, for giving us your time and your energy um, and your dedication and, you know, the research that you're doing, the work that you're doing, you know, putting into this, um, it matters a lot. Um, and I want to honor that and respect that. And and I think if I if I walk away, you know, from this conversation, I, I certainly have taken quite a bit with me. Um, and I think the two things that you just mentioned in your last statement um, to that question of, you know, intentionality and a reflective practice, I think those two things can go a long way. Um, and so I know for me personally, that's something I will be moving forward with. If, if I can remind myself of anything, it's those, those two things, in addition to every other wonderful thing you said that um, maybe I should say it again, that I appreciate. Um, but no, I would definitely say that those two things are things that have really just sat kind of in my, in my heart and in my, like my chest space of like, oh yeah, I definitely think that those two, those two things are things that if I could take actionable steps in addition to other things would be, be those two things. So, um, yeah, thank you for your time. Um, is Risa, I want to offer you the space. If there's anything else that you'd like to speak to in, you know, right now, feel free to like any thanks, any gratitude, any resources. I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot, which I don't like to do to folks, but um, if and if you can't think of anything now, you can email it to me after and we can drop it in the show notes. So that's totally cool. But I also want to offer you the space to kind of to share if there's anything else that, you know, you'd like to bring to us tonight. Um, I'll probably hit you up by email. I mean, I think generally just a lot of gratitude for this conversation and um, certainly would welcome, you know, the listeners to you know, find me on Twitter and continue the conversation. It's been so great, Kelsey and Elena, to talk with you. And I'd love to talk with others. This is kind of my favorite part of what I do um, is talking with really smart people about, I think, the issues that matter the most in sport um, as a runner myself and an athlete and, you know, a sports business person and um, an activist of sorts, right, and all these things. So just um, 
we welcome uh, the opportunity to continue the conversation over social media or however people want to be in touch. Um, and Risa, I, I will drop this in the show notes, but would you mind sharing with folks how they can be in touch with you? Yeah, um, so Twitter is great. Um, it's at Risa Loves Sports. Um, you can, my DMs are open, so you should feel free to tweet me or DM me. Um, I can always give my email out there. It's just easier, but Twitter is a great place um, to uh, connect. Okay, great. Awesome. Well, Risa, thank you so much for joining us. Alina, thank you for being here. It was nice to co-host with you after a very long period of time of not being able to do this together. Um, and Strong Runner Chicks, thanks for tuning in. We hope that you walk away with something that sits well in your heart and in your mind. Um, and we hope that you have a great evening. So thank you all for being here and we'll talk soon. Thanks for listening to the Strong Runner Chicks Radio. Do us a favor and leave a review in iTunes to help spread awareness and foster the SRC community. Additionally, make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Strong Run Chicks.